For the Millers, movie nights were once tradition. Now Sarah could hardly get through the opening credits, not on that old couch. But one day while shopping on QVC.com, she learned Lazy Boy recliners had slimmed down a bit. And in just a few clicks, Sarah got her Lazy Boy chair and a popcorn maker and a soundbar by Bose. And with one quick trip to QVC.com, Movie Night and Sarah's Back were saved. Shop QVC.com slash podcast and use code QVC20podcast for $20 off $40 for new customers. This is shopping brought to life. Attention shoppers, we now have taste in the bread aisle. Dave's Killer Bread. That's right, an organic bread that's no longer a sedative for your taste buds. Dave's Killer Bread is on a mission to make the most of the loaf, to rid the world of GMOs, high fructose corn syrup, and artificial ingredients, and plant the seeds of good in all that they bake. Killer taste, killer texture, and always organic. Dave's Killer Bread. Bread amplified. Hello, friends. Did you enjoy last week's episode? I'm so glad because part two is coming at you right now. Welcome back to the New Evangelicals podcast. Today is Shay's story. So if you haven't been listening to me recently, first off, shame on you. Number two, we are in the middle of a three-part series with uh, Shay and Brian from Queer Theology. And last week, we heard Brian's story. This week, we're going to hear Shay's story. And next week, we're going to talk about queer theology. So today is uh, Shay's story. I appreciated him coming on and talking and just offering the perspective that he has. He also is part of the old Catholic tradition. um, And that was new for me. So I asked a lot of questions about that. All right. Um, that being said, thank you to everyone who continues to share the podcast. If you like these episodes, send them to a friend. They don't cost you anything. It's a free gift, kind of like Jesus's gift of salvation. Wow, I'm feeling real quirky today, but I'm going to go with this. I'm going to roll with it. Um, anyway, yeah, if you want to share this episode, that'd be awesome. If you want to help us out and donate, you can click on the sh- on the link in our show notes. That brings us to that page. Honestly, everything we do is totally crowdfunded, friends. It is totally crowdsourced. Your funding, your generosity is what allows us to keep making content, to bring guests like Shay and Brian on, to do more community stuff, et cetera, et cetera. So thank you so much to everyone who has donated. All right, here's part two. This is week two, which really for well, I should let's be honest, Shay. We shouldn't be lying to our audience. It's five minutes ago for us. It's a week ago <laughs> for our, our audience. So, <laughs> but it's great to have you on. You know, we, we we talked to Brian last week, and Shay, I appreciate you making time as well to come on. So thanks a lot. It, it, it really means a lot. Oh, my pleasure. Why don't we, you know, kind of same idea here? Who is Shay? What's your background? And then we're gonna dig into all the fun stuff. Yeah, so I uh, grew up a fundamentalist evangelical in rural Pennsylvania, uh, and now am the first openly transgender man ordained to the old Catholic priesthood. Um, So as you can imagine, quite a journey (laughs) there. (laughs) Uh, And I'm I'm also a writer and a playwright um, and and run QueerTheology.com with Brian. Amazing. What what part of uh, Pennsylvania? I live right over the bridge in New Jersey. 
Oh, so like I grew up in Upper Black Eddy, which is right on the border of New Jersey between New Hope and Easton. Oh, are you kidding me? I live right by Philadelphia in like the Cherry Hill area. I, I, oh, yeah, I, can, yeah. I, I am a five minute walk to the Delaware River from my house. That's how close I am. Nice. That's that's where I was too, but just a little further down the river. Wow. <laughs> yeah, a, a little more north than, than than I am. Wow, small world. Okay, so so you grew up fundamentalist Christian. So what does that mean? Were, were you homeschooled? Like were you you know were you pretty active in your church, etc. Yeah, so I um, went to a private Christian school um, for first through sixth grade. That was a feeder school for Bob Jones. Um, so <laughs> give you that um, idea. And then I was homeschooled for seventh through 12th grade. Uh, so church really became my entire social life and uh, and community. Uh, I was there so often that they gave me my own set of keys to the building because they got sick of uh, people coming over to let me in. And I... So I'm a little bit older than Brian and you as well. So like I grew up, uh, so I was in the evangelical church in the late nineties, mm. the height of the purity culture movement, the height of really contemporary Christian music, uh, where that, where those folks were like rock stars in a way that I think started to fade like mid two thousands or it all turned yeah. into worship music. Right. Um, you know, Christian clowns and miming and puppets and, yes evangelical street teams and human music right. videos like right. all of that was yeah. my was my jam <laughs> of course and the power team you know you had to have the big muscle guys tearing up phone books in the name of jesus <laughs> so <laughs> oh man it, it, it is I, i'm i, I it's crazy because very similar uh to my um background as well homeschooled the whole night and also fun fact and that my audience doesn't know this but we use bob jones satellite curriculum when i was homeschooled my oh, wow. mom would my mom would, would record the uh, record the sessions on VHS. We have to watch them later on, which was just pure torture. Okay, so is it safe to say that you were like a really good church kid? I mean, you grew up, com- you know, oh, at the time committed to Jesus, committed to the church, etc. Um, what, what when did things start to change for you then in 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 regards to the evangelical, I guess, culture for you starting to move? Yeah, I mean, I was all in into church, like all into this world, really, really um, believed everything, heavily, heavily invested. Yeah. And also from a very young age there, I have always been a little bit of a rabble rouser uh, when it comes to institutions. And so I do remember even in junior high, like kind of looking around my church and, and feeling like there are people who aren't here why are they not here? And why are we not doing anything about that? Mm. Um, and at that point, it was very much like, we need to get them here so that they can get saved and go to heaven. Um, right. But it was this kind of questioning of like, something doesn't feel right. Um, I also was a kid who, I did not have language for it at the time, but mm. looking back, I was like really, really depressed. Um, mm. And I remember feeling like, all of the Christian music I was listening to was happy. Um, every message I was getting was, we'll just pray a little bit harder. Um, and, and I remember feeling this disconnect of like, I am praying really, really hard and I'm still not happy. So what is happening? Mm. Um, and it did feel like there's something else going on here. I think that the Jesus story is bigger than just pray harder and get happy. Um, so, so, so even, even in the early ages, there were, uh, those, those 
hints of tension. And for me, I, I was a drama kid. I started writing Christian drama very young um, to ask these questions. And that was kind of the way that I made sense of the world around me, the way that I was trying to make sense of of faith and and also talk about things that were um, felt like big questions. Of course, you know, all of those are, I, I say this with a lot of affection, they were Christian propaganda, right? Because you had to get have someone get saved at the end. You couldn't have a skit right. that like ended right. in a question. Um, <laughs> right. And so I was, I was kind of wrestling with all of this. Uh, mm. And then I, I also was a kid who was growing up trans with no language around that. I had no language around gender or sexuality. Uh, the only kind of messages we got around sex was don't have it ever. Um, so I remember right. feeling like, oh, I am really pure because I am not interested <laughs> in any of that. Uh, mm. And I didn't realize that like, oh yeah, it's because you like have all of these other blocks and issues with your body that like you can't even confront. So mm. of course it's, it's coming up as purity culture. Um, Ellen DeGeneres came out on her TV show when I was 16 or 17. And I remember that being a moment because my family loved that TV show mm. and we boycotted that episode and no longer watched Ellen after that. And, and I remember having this feeling cause I loved Ellen because she was um, always single. Uh, she was dressed, had short hair, dressed like a boy. And I thought, I just want to be like Ellen. Like, that's totally normal. I, I just want to dress like Ellen dresses and have short hair. And then when Ellen came out, I remember thinking, oh, shit. Like, mm -hmm. I wonder if people are going to see in me what, El what, El what Ellen is experiencing and I might be in trouble. Um, so that was kind of the first moment that I remember thinking, oh, something might be off here. Uh, mm -hmm. I still had no language around gender. I went on a mission trip at, uh, the summer after my senior year of high school and fell in love for the first time mm. uh, with someone of the same gender as me at that time. Mm. And also spent that summer being harassed by the adult leaders. And I didn't realize it at the time because I couldn't realize it at the time, but like I was set up to fail, right? I came mm. into this organization that prized extroversion that only wanted to really train men that women were kind of an afterthought. And here I was this like boyish kid. Mm. Um, and I just couldn't win. And I, I didn't realize that I couldn't win. And so I kept oh. trying really hard to like do what they wanted and to be the right person. And it just, it really, really wrecked me. Um, mm. And, and I, I think that was a, the first big time that I was like, Oh, something is really wrong. And I'm not sure how I'm going to get through it and function. Um, but mm. then I came home and two weeks later started at an evangelical college that was affiliated with the church that I grew up in. And all of the kids that I had just went on that mission trip with, almost all of them went to that college. And so got thrust back into this world. Um, and then college was where it, things really started to fall apart. <laughs> mm, mm. Okay. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I gotta be just transparent. You know, I, I think I had the most to learn about, about 
the experience that you're describing so far, you know, out, out of the, the, the community and the, you know, the world, right. Uh, of, of what it means to be queer. I'm still learning the most about this specific part of it. I just have so yeah. much to learn. Um, so I appreciate you being transparent and honest with us because it just, it helps not that it's about me, but it does help me understand more. It helps hopefully it's my own liberation. Uh, if we could put it in that language. So for you, you're, you're, you, it sounds like you're, you were in this you know space where it's like, okay, I'm trying my best. It's not really working out yet. You kind of have some form of a breakdown and then you're thrust right back in it. And it's like, all right, good luck. What happens from there? Yeah. So, you know, I start at Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana, tiny evangelical Christian college. I'm living in a girl's dorm, which feels very, very strange, uh, but I still have no language around gender. I'm starting now to acknowledge that I am mostly attracted to women. So at that point, I'm like, well, I'm, I must be gay. Like that's prop. That's the only language I've got. Um, but it was really like, I'm struggling with homosexuality. I'm using air quotes for folks right. that are listening because that was, right. you couldn't talk about it unless right. you talked about the fact that you were struggling. Right. Um, right. And this is, you know, we didn't really have access to the internet. Uh, we, like we had, I had a, a Juno email account on yeah, dial up basically. Like we didn't course. really have internet in our rooms. <laughs> yeah. um, the evangelical college blocked everything. So I couldn't even Google stuff, right? Because I knew that they were tracking right. all of that. And, right. Um, right. And so, you know, I'm in this evangelical college and I'm still really trying to like make it work. Um, and but also really grappling with a lot of mental health stuff that no one on that campus was equipped to, to deal with. Mm, mm. Um, and asking a lot of questions, which were getting me into trouble in the mm. evangelical space. Yeah. Um, and also feeling really called to ministry, which is mm. also super complicated because I'm in this tradition that does not ordain women. Um, and, and so here I am someone who everyone is assuming is a woman. I'm majoring in youth ministry. And at the beginning of every single youth ministry class, um, which they let women major in, but they would tell us you cannot be a youth pastor. Uh, the best you can do the best again, air quotes is like mm. do children's ministry. Of course. Uh, and so I'm like, I don't, I don't, something feels funky. I don't really know. I'm, I'm just going to like figure it out. And so kind of, three really pivotal things happened in college. One, I was finally able to start reading some books that had been kept from me, mm. uh, which kind of some cracked open some theology for me. Mm. I got hired to intern at a United Methodist church. Mm. Uh, and that was the church that they ordained women. Um, and it was the first time that I met people that I was like, oh, like these are faithful Christians who disagree on this issue huh. <laughs> I, I didn't know that there were faithful Christians that could disagree on issues right. like this. Right. Um, and then the right. third thing is that I got involved in theater and theater is the thing that saved my life. Um, mm. I really wanted to be a theater kid, but my college only did 1930s murder mysteries. And I was this like queer looking kid who just couldn't they, So they never cast me in anything. Uh, right. So finally I was like, Hey, if I wrote my own play, would you just let me do it as a student-led production? And they said, yeah, go for it. Uh, and so I I did. I wrote this play that was all about asking all of these questions that I was having. Mm. Um, and the the first play I wrote, like, still kind of ended with that, like, and then we all got saved. 
right, right. The second play really ended with a lot of ambiguity. And I remember the emotional response that my classmates had to these pieces. And I thought, oh, oh, something is happening here that we are hungry to ask these questions and to not have these trite answers. Mm. Um, So I'm going to kind of start to follow that. By the end of my time in college, I had started coming out as gay, uh, telling people that I was going to be celibate forever because I really thought that that was the only way um, to be holy. I got a job as a full-time American Baptist youth pastor back in Pennsylvania. And then I started two weeks after I graduated from college. Um, And they didn't know that I was struggling with sexuality. I mean, anyone who looked at me knew that I was struggling with sexuality, but like, I hadn't said that and no one was acknowledging that. So I was like, okay, great. I'm going to take this job. I'm going to be celibate um, while I'm, especially while I'm doing this job and I'm not going to come out because that's not fair to them. Um, And then my very first summer there, two weeks after I started, one of the kids in the youth group came out and I was like, oh, interesting. And Mm. the church had some mixed reactions. His family was super supportive. Mm. But the great thing was, Uh, there were some gay youth groups in town and the church was like, well, why don't you take him to them? And so Mm -hmm. I, here I am like taking this high school kid to these groups and sitting there and being like, I'm just here as a really good ally. And (laughs) all of these kids are like, right, dude, just taking notes um, though. (laughs) Yeah. But I'm like, um, and through, through some of those conversations that, I mean, this was the early 2000s, the American Baptist Church was just starting to have conversations around sexuality. Uh, and I met like affirming pastors for the very first time. And I met mm. gay pastors for the first time. And it opened up this window of possibility for me that I was like, oh, like maybe there is a world someday, maybe that I can like be there. Mm. Um, and the first pastor I worked with was also really great because he was very gentle, but then he'd be like, I think you should read this book. And he would hand me a book and I'd be like, mind blown. Mm. Uh, So he introduced me to like Christian anarchy and Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. all of these social justice folks. And it was, I was reading liberation theology for the first time. And I was reading about the Catholic worker movement and the the mm -hmm. peace movement of the sixties and seventies. And I was like, oh, there is a whole world out here that I had never known, like you were talking about last week of this, there are all of these rooms that I didn't know were there. Yeah. And so I started really also diving into, um, you know, what, where did certain theologies come from? And this was when things really started where I was like, oh, I, I have been sold a false bill of goods. Uh-huh. Um, and I remember the moment I was reading a book Uh, And they were talking about the rapture. And I had grown up, you know, in a tradition where I was terrified of the rapture all the time. I was mostly terrified because I thought that we would all be raptured naked. And for someone with like gender issues, that was not an okay Mm. thing. Uh, But I was also like terrified of getting left behind, right? All of this. Right. I'm reading in this book and this book is like, yeah, this guy named John Darby in England made up the idea of the rapture 150 years ago. I was like... (laughs) Are you shitting me? Like, I spoiler alert for my entire life over this thing that some dude in England made up. Like, there is there's no evidence for it, right. and that for me was really where I was like, well, if they lied to me about that, what else did they lie about? Right. And then it all kind of came down. Yeah. Um, 
And so I'm, I'm working at this American Baptist church. I'm still living at home. I'm closeted. I have no friends except for like the kids at the gay youth group who I'm, it, which sounds creepy, except I was only like three years older than them. So we're like all the right. same age, right, I was very right. young. Right. Um, and like, and having kind of a crisis of faith. And then mm. towards the end of my time at the American Baptist church, I met someone and I fell in love and I was like, Oh, I like, I gotta, I gotta leave this church. I gotta figure out, I gotta come out. You gotta figure all of this out. Still had no language around gender identity. Mm. Um, ended up getting outed by MySpace because I'm old and MySpace was still a thing. Uh, and like, didn't get to preach my last Sunday at the church because they had hired a new homophobic minister. Oh, it was boy. just, it was a mess. What a mess. Yeah. Kind of came out. My mom was uh, you know very much in the you know it's wrong camp um and we're just gonna like you're go uh, uh, kind of equated it to me uh to my stepfather who had an affair right said it was the same and i was like right. i don't think that's the same uh but you know that's that was kind of the tension that i was living in in at that time and i really felt burnt out by the church and so i was like you know what i'm gonna take i'm gonna take a year off Mm. I'm going to work as a bartender and as a server at like TGI Fridays. Oh yeah. And I'm not going to do the church thing. And I'm just going to figure out uh, if there's still a place for me in this. Mm. Um, and at the end of that year, I was like, Oh, I still <laughs> shit. I think I, I think I got to go back. I think that there's still mm. something that I need to do. Um, so I applied to seminary and I only applied to one seminary. I applied to Union Theological Seminary in New York. I had no idea that it was a good school. All I knew is that it was liberal and it was close to home. Um, and so I applied and then I started telling some folks, oh, like I applied to Union. And they're like, oh, that's a good school. And I was like, well, crap. Now I'm not going to get it. <laughs> like, right, there's no way it. I'm going to get it at a good school. I was homeschooled and went to an evangelical right, college. So right. My grades are not stellar. And I also um, have ties to Bob Jones unintentionally. So I'm really screwed exactly, here. You know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I, I really think, I think that um, I filled Union's former fundamentalist quota for that year, right? Like, I think they have to get at least one in every class so that they can do uh, the, the good work. Um, and it was in seminary that, like, my theology really, uh, I was given... I was given tools to understand mm. all of how to answer my own questions for the uh, first time. Yeah. I was given new language. Um, I was given space to ask questions and have that be okay. Um, mm. And I was also finally given space to explore my gender. And so I ended up coming out as trans my second year of seminary. Um, I was only the second student to transition while in school. Mm. And and it was it was very challenging, but it was also that was the thing that really those kind of things happening together, learning new theology, learning how to do theology, and coming out as trans, then like changed the trajectory of of everything that I was doing. Wow, that's really amazing. Uh, and so obviously, it sounds like like the school was supportive. They let you transition while you were in school, so they didn't kick you out or you know call you names and say no, you're you're you're. You're in for, you know, you're no good here. Essentially. They said, no, we want you here. And we want to, I guess, help you through this process. For the most part. Um, you know, I still ended up having to really advocate for myself and learn mm. how to advocate for myself, which is challenging. Yeah. Like getting a master's degree is, is no joke and neither is transitioning. And so, so to right. have to advocate for yourself while you're also trying to get a, um, upper level degree was really hard. I had a lot of support in my 
friend group and class. Mm. I had uh, a lot of support from some faculty. I did have to, you know, had a professor who went on a transphobic rant in class knowing that I was in class and that I was trans. Um, oh my goodness. And so like that kind of stuff was really difficult. Yeah. Um, I, I did have fellow students who wouldn't use the right pronouns for me, professors mm. who really struggled to get it right. Um, but but also had a base of support, right? So it was, it's this really mixed bag of, right. yes, I was accepted. Yes, there was space. And also, um, which I think is the case for a lot of trans folks, even in affirming institutions and churches where, yeah, we're welcome. And also we're doing a lot of work to make sure that we're getting through it, hmm. even relatively unscathed. Yeah, that's a fair point. So- Grand Canyon University values all mothers this Mother's Day. You show us how to live a Christ-centered life. Your strength and care instill purpose and build a welcoming home where we flourish and grow. GCU is proud to celebrate you today and support you along the way while you make time for what matters most. Happy Mother's Day from Grand Canyon University. So um, you get your master's degree, you graduate, and then is that when this old Catholic tradition steps in, or are we not there yet in the story? Uh, we're getting really close. Uh, okay. So, you know, so Brian and I met while I was in seminary. He heard me preach, and that was really where I started to do to what was happening is that I was being given permission to read my own story and scripture together for the first time and to see connections. Um, and that was really life-changing for me as someone mm. who had always been taught that scripture wasn't for me. You know, I had grown up feeling like yeah. uh, scripture was a weapon. And so in my early coming out, I, I learned to use scripture as a shield, right? It was, I, it was really using it as, as a defense mechanism. And so when I came out and was finally given some tools and permission to say, okay, I, I don't think it's a weapon or a shield. Mm. I think that it's a text that I can be in conversation with. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. if I put my story alongside scripture, I'm going to actually learn new things about both. Mm. Um, and then when I started to share that with other people and other people who weren't queer, who weren't trans were like, oh, like there's something in here for me too. I was like, oh, this is, this mm. is the thing. But this mm -hmm. is the thing. Yeah. Um, so right after I graduated from seminary, I got divorced um, because my partner at the time was a lesbian and I was now a dude and that was not going to work mm -hmm. um, and moved to Minnesota. I started the ordination process in the United Church of Christ and really felt that that wasn't going to be a good fit. I was feeling called to, to do new church ministry and they don't really have a space for that as um, early call folks. Um, and the old Catholic church reached out to me on Twitter. And this is where the story gets a little crazy. A bishop <laughs> in the old Catholic church uh, sent me a message and he was like, hey, we want to get the word out that we ordain trans folks. Can you help us? Um, and I was like, well, I have never heard of you. <laughs> so <Right. laughs> what is happening? So we jumped on a phone call um, and he started telling me the history of the old Catholic church. So the old Catholic church is a independent Catholic group, not in communion with Rome. They ordain women, LGBT folks, people who are married, partnered, and divorced, basically everyone that the Roman church uh, does not ordain. They were a part of the Roman Catholic church. They broke off in the 1800s in the Netherlands. So this is not new. 
This is not a new movement. It's quite old. Uh, it came to the U.S. around 150 years ago. The story, the story of how it got here is a little wonky. Um, it seems like some rogue bishops moved to the U.S. and started ordaining people, which something in my rabble rouser heart actually kind of really loves. <laughs> um, yeah. And so as I started to talk more to this bishop, I was like, actually, I think this is this is the right fit for me. Um, because when I think about the the people who had been most influential in kind of helping me unlearn evangelicalism and 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 really marry justice and faith, it it was all Catholic folks, right? It was Dorothy Day and the Catholic worker. It was Philip and Daniel Berrigan, the priests who burnt the draft files. Um, it was the Latin American liberation theologians who said that Jesus has a special concern for the poor. Uh, and so it was like, oh, I, and and there's also something in the theatricality of the ritual of it, right? The, there's sure. something really beautiful in that. Absolutely. No, like for sure. Can't, you're, can't you're deny right. that. Yep. So it was like, oh, there's a place where I can like be all of who I am. Mm. And that's not, a, that's not a barrier. That's an asset. Mm. Uh, I can do this mass and this ritual that is, I think, so meaningful. Yeah. Um, and I can be a part of a, of a tradition that cares about justice and that cares about new expressions of ministry. Um, so I ended up, Brian and I started queer theology in 2013. I was ordained as a deacon, I think in 2014 or 15, and then ordained as a priest a year later. Wow. Um, first off, I just, when, when you, when you described, um, how the old Catholic tradition got here, I just pictured like, I don't know, five or six guys hopping off a boat in robes with like a magic wand, just like, you're ordained, you're ordained, you're ordained. That's how I picture it just kind of happening, you know? And then here we are now. So probably was similar. <laughs> <laughs> Not gonna just lie. Like that. Actual <laughs> footage, you know? So yeah. um, so the the old Catholic Church or the old Catholic tradition, are they essentially Catholic in in all their theology except for everything that you just described, where, where they will ordain women, you know, in the queer community, or are there some other big theological differences uh, on top of that? Depends who you ask, um, mm. but they're the kind of the two the the reasons that they broke um, were around papal infability, uh, so they don't believe in that, and so we don't have the old Catholic Church does not they consider the Pope a brother in Christ, but not as a, a authority or, right. Um, or infallible, uh, right. even from the throne or whatever that doctrine is. Um, and then there are some other like pretty esoteric differences, but for the most part, theologically would be very similar to Roman Catholicism. So I probably um, differ in in some fundamental ways. Uh, but, but for me, like the, the bulk of it, I feel like I, I can, I can ascribe to that. Well, there is, there is definitely something beautiful about the ritual of the mass. Um, this is not the same exact thing, but a couple of years ago, my wife and I were visiting some friends who my, my friend down in uh, Waco, Texas recently got, he was at the time getting his PhD in church history and he converted to Anglican instead of, you know, from evangelical. And so we hung out with them and we, we were part of, you know, they, they do, they do mass, they do Eucharist, everything. And they do prayer in the morning. And my wife and I were like, there's something beautiful about this. And it was hard to be transparent. It was hard to know if it was, this is just different. Therefore it's automatically cool. Right. Or if it's like, okay, there's something here. And I think even looking back, it was like, 
No, there's something here. The fact that it's centered around Eucharist, not around the, the, the sermon, um, just the ritual that you're doing this with people all over the world. There's something to, and also something to be said that, that, that this is an ancient tradition that we continue on and we continue to push forward is, I think for a lot of us who are either have left the evangelical church or who are rethinking the light show and smoke show, um, Maybe there's something really sacred and beautiful about that when maybe 10 years ago I'd be like, nah, that's for old, boring folks, right? But I've also found this observation, and I I like your thoughts on this one, Shay. Um, I've noticed that in, in my white evangelical circles, a lot of churches inform look more liberal, right? More modern. Okay, we have the lights, we have the we have the haze, we have the rock show, we have the cool pastor. But in theology are quite conservative and fundamentalist. However, yeah. a lot of these other traditions, Anglican, um, you know, even Catholic as a whole, but you know, the old Catholic tradition, they might look on the surface way more quote unquote antiquated, right? But their theology is actually much more progressive, much more focused on social justice and a, a Christology that is centered around really the redemption of humanity in a very real way. Um, what are your thoughts on something like that? Have you seen that as well? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think one of the impulses um, for Brian and I with Queer Theology was we wanted to take the best of both, right? Because mm. I really miss often the kind of emotional um, impacts and reverberations of evangelical style worship. Um, I, this is going to sound uh, arrogant, but listen, m- liberal churches have terrible websites their graphics are ugly uh and their design is struggling Uh, and so we also were like we really want to take the best of like evangelicals pay attention to aesthetics um and 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 stay up with culture in a way that we found really lacking in a lot of the mainline liberal traditions um and so we're like what would happen if we could take the the really robust and justice oriented and healthy and life-giving theology that we're finding over here and marry it with some of the best aspects of evangelical culture um without without watering anything down and so that was also kind of because we we do feel like there are some folks that walk into a church that does a high mass and they can't find themselves in it because that's mm. not the language of of the tradition that they come from. Uh, Mm. And sometimes sometimes that difference is really healing for folks because they they can't be around the smoke show anymore because they can't separate that from the theology. Um, But for some folks, it's a real barrier. Hmm. No, that's fair. Yeah, I, I'm thinking a lot as you're talking about the circles that I'm in, the people I engage with, and a lot of us um, are probably pretty triggered in a very real way by by that form of you know the haze, the smoke. In fact, yeah. there's someone I follow on Instagram. Her name is Janice. Uh, her account is God is uh, God has not given. She used to be part of Hillsong in New York City with Carl Lentz, and uh, you know she deconstructed and she just did like an 18 minute parody, pretty much. She called it Colonized Church. It's honestly hilarious, but also sadly accurate. And you know yeah. you watch that and you're like. Yeah, I mean, I, I I am six months out as of this recording from being asked to either stop doing new evangelicals or or step down from leading worship at, at my evangelical 
community, you know, my whole world pretty much. And I chose to keep yeah. going. And as I'm processing it, even though it's, even though it's still pretty fresh, like I am realizing like, yeah, even though as a musician, a professional one, I loved those spaces. It was great to have the in-ear mix and the pro gear and the, and the big audience. And the, I love it. I mean, on that level, I look back and I'm like, I don't think I can go back right now and sing these songs. Like, I just can't do it. But something like a, a liturgical mass, I also feel like I'm kind of intimidated by, right? Like, I show up into this building. Everyone looks at me. I don't know what to wear. <laughs> and, like, what if I say the wrong words? Or, like, do do they feed me the wafer? Do I grab the wafer? Like, how does this work? So a lot of us, I think, kind of are in this, like, weird limbo right now of, like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Totally, totally. And it's that's one of the big things that I've been really stressing to folks who are in, in particularly in the old Catholic movement of like, we have to explain what we're doing, and why we're doing it, and what it means. Because the folks that are finding us didn't grow up Roman Catholic, like this isn't just second nature to them. And so right. they do have questions about like, when do I kneel? Do I kneel? Do I have right. to kneel? Like, right. I, I don't know. Uh, and so right. I, I have done a lot of like translating of this is what this means. Mm. Find a way to enter into it in a way that feels comfortable for you. I love that. And also I think it all it is, is also, okay. So the fact that, that there is a Catholic tradition that is again, very ritualistic and maybe, um, I don't know, like you said, theatrical in form, but also is ordaining the queer community and women and like super liberal in my head. My, I start smoking out of my ears. Like, wait, these things don't <laughs> compute. Like they live in my brain in two completely different sections. So seeing the merger makes me like immensely curious, but also like kind of perplexed. Like, wait a second. Like, I don't understand this. Like don't Catholics, they won't even ordain women, but this tradition is like all in. So that is also part of it, I think, as well. Yeah, for sure. sure. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, um, you know, so, you know, Shay, you shared so much of your story and it, it is helpful and it's like, it, I don't know. I mean, there's something about, um, who, who's the philosopher I think about? Uh, there's some guy that I follow who I really like and um, um, some dude out there who says witty stuff, but he says, you know, every human has a universe inside of them. That's always stuck with me. And it's just, it's true because people are complex and they're nuanced and there's amazing stories. Kind of going back to your story for a few more minutes, then, then we'll wrap up. What, when, when you just, you know, when you said, Hey, um, I think I'm going to transition all this stuff. How did your family take it? Like, was that, was that a hard point of contention for them or was it pretty much acceptance all the way? No, uh, not at all. Um, mm. You know, I think I think that my family had some understanding of like what being gay was, but trans was not on their radar at all. Um, and so right. they pretty much. I, so I came out to my my mom. Um, she has has pretty much pretended like it didn't happen and didn't exist. Mm. Um, and so I've had to set some pretty clear boundaries around. Um, what types of communication we'll have. I, I gave a lot of grace for a lot, for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And then finally it was like, oh, no, it's it's been long enough. Like you need to get on board. Um, mm -hmm. And she couldn't. And, and I think that that's like, we often tell the stories of reconciliation. And it's also important to note that sometimes there isn't. Uh, mm. And that that's okay too. And there's a way to be healthy and whole in that. Mm. Um, and that it's, setting boundaries or cutting off family is sometimes an act of love. 
for yourself and and frankly for them too. Uh, it's a kind of a call to action for them to to show up in a new way. And sometimes they can't. Uh, and my my family, for the most part, has not been able to. Yeah. Do they still do they still kind of subscribe to more of that fundamentalist? You know how kind of how you were growing up. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. You know, and I get it, right? I, I think yeah. my my family uh, fundamentalism is safe, right? It's yeah. a it's con- it's yeah. it's contained, and it gives you all of the answers, and it gives you a sense of I'm on the right side of history. Totally. Um, I know exactly what to do. I know exactly what to say. Uh, and I think I think with my identity in particular, you know, the reality is that if you, I, I talk about this often that evangelicalism is a house of cards and if you pull a card the whole damn thing comes down and i think for my family in particular they know that and so it is this sense of no we're 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 not gonna blow we're not gonna blow on the house of cards we're not gonna bump the table um and anything that that might jostle the house of cards is outside of that i i remember reading i was reading a book um when i was kind of starting my deconstructing phase Mm. and um, my mom saw it on the floor and it was like, if, if grace is true, it was like new meanings on atonement. And my mom was like, well, if, if everyone's going to go to heaven, then why did Jesus have to die? Like, that's ridiculous. And I was like, yeah, like, that's the point. Like, this is the question that I'm asking. Uh, and for her, it was, well, we can't, we shouldn't be reading things that might challenge our faith. And my thought was, if my faith is going to fall apart because I read a book, then something is wrong with my faith, not with the book. Um, And so, like, I really want to grapple and grow and learn. um, And I want to ask those questions. And for me, I don't want a faith that's a house of cards. I want something that gives me space to, to, to breathe and to grow and to seek wholeness. Uh, And I found that in liberal Christianity and also in realizing that like liberal Christianity is not new. Right? It, it, it is an ancient tradition. These justice themes have people have been talking about this since the beginning. Like that was, yeah. that was the foundation. Uh, and I yeah. think that's just so, so important. Now uh, your comment about, um, I, I you know, American evangelicalism, whatever, however you want to define it, conservative evangelicalism, whatever, uh, how it's really a house of cards is very accurate. You know, a lot of people describe it as pulling a thread, right? You pull one thread, the whole yep. sweater comes undone. Yep. And that's true. And frankly, it is fucking scary, right? When you start pulling on that thread or those cards yeah. start going down. And I, I, like you said, in a, in a weird way, I understand why my parents and your parents don't want to pull it because it is, it gives at least the illusion of safety and yes. knowing what's right and what's wrong and absolutes. But my God, like once, once you start, or if you're wired to, to have questions, evangelicalism is going to collapse on itself at some point for you. It's just a matter of time. It's just a matter of time. And I think, yeah. I think that's why we're seeing such a mass exodus and mass critique yep. right now of, of American evangelicalism because millions of us and Brian and you and myself are included in this, right? Grew up in these four walls. And here we are, you know, I'm in my early thirties and I'm just like, no, I am a committed Jesus follower, which is exactly why I need something better. Cause this evangelical movement, holy shit, we have major problems and they won't address them. So I'm with you all yeah. the way on that hundred percent. It's been really fascinating. So I I started my process, um, uh, I think, ahead of the curve 
a little yeah. bit. So I started yeah. my deconstruction in, you know, the late, or the, the mid 2000s. Um, and at that time, no one was talking about this. Uh, and I remember feeling so afraid and so afraid that there was no faith on the other side. And I'm mm. so, it's been so fascinating to watch. Um, and I think that, I, I really think that my queerness and transness pushed me out in a way um, that a lot of folks that are leaving now, so, something else pushed them out, um, probably the last president. Uh, but, you know, I'm I'm really grateful for being queer and trans because like, I think that it, it I would be a terrible person if I had been born a cis guy. Like the, the, there's just, that's a reality. Um, mm. But I, I, but I think that like what is happening now, which is really beautiful is that there is a community of people that are doing this work that are being really public about it. And that are also saying, if you want to still have some kind of faith, there is a way to do it. That is life-giving. That is healthy. That is good for the for the community and the world that you don't have to, it's not, it's not evangelicalism or nothing, but there is some other place to be and to land. Um, But it really, it takes a lot of work and it's really scary. Uh, And there, there is a, there's a lot of emotions, right? There's a lot of anger and trauma and shame and guilt and fear. And, and like, you got to feel all of those things uh, and take the time to learn new and better ways of being and and understanding theology and God. I think you're spot on. And honestly, you know, I think this is maybe a good moment to recognize that people such as yourself, Shay, were kind of the front runners of this and went in when they had no support. You know, I'm fortunate where we have Instagram now and I can find people and people have found me, right? But imagine, you know, I can't imagine being in the mid 2000s when these things don't exist and just thinking like, it's either this or there's nothing. Like I have, I'm hopeless essentially. So thank you for being the trailblazer that you are because without people like you going forward what 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 shoulders are we standing on it's really yours is what it comes down to i mean i feel really lucky to have have been able to do that work um and i think part of my impulse of of being so public about that process is like i don't want anyone else to have to be in the wilderness alone right because like i now i now i can look at it and i can see all of these themes and i can see there's a process that we all go through as we do this deconstruction work and it's like oh we People just got to be naming it so that we don't have to keep, we don't have to keep struggling alone, but also that we don't have to keep reinventing the wheel. Like there is a, there is a structure now. um, We can get through it faster and, uh, and get on the other side. That's great. Well, Shay, I really appreciate you making time as well to kind of dig into your story and and the old Catholic tradition, which sounds, I'm like, I'm going to look it up on on my computer later on. Like, is there a church around me that's old Catholic? I'll check it out. It'd be just so fascinating. So, so thanks for the work. I think there is one near you, by the way. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I'll I'll look them up and and find them. (laughs) Honestly, I, I mean, I, my, my wife is not interested at all in going back to any kind of formal church. And I totally get it. You know, we, we, I totally understand. I'm kind of like, I kind of miss the rhythm. You know, I kind of miss being somewhere. I, I do. So I'm kind of maybe searching a little more than she is, but yeah, send it over to me because I, I might check it out. Um, and hopefully I, 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 was, I think you bite from the wafer and they feed it to you. I don't think you grab it. So I remember that. <laughs> don't grab it out of the hand. Different traditions. And I always, I don't like that. Uh, as an okay. officiant. So I always place it in people's hands. 
I will just have my hands open. So. <laughs> yes, that's how you do it. <laughs> awesome. All right, Shay, well, we'll talk to you next week, aka in 10 minutes from now, and uh, we'll get Brian back on and we'll have a great discussion about queer theology and what it looks like to push the church forward together. So thanks. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you.